18 is our passage today. Colossians chapter 4, verses 7 through the end of the epistle. These are the final greetings of the apostle from the apostle Paul. Those who greeted through him and those he gave greeting to. Beginning at verse 7 of chapter 4. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea and say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received from the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Our Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your precious word. Thank you for this precious prison epistle. Oh Lord, continue to grant us grace and help where we need it. Father, meet us right where we are, each one of us, young and old, so that you, Lord, and your church, your bride, would be something that you would be precious in your bride's thoughts and the affections of her heart. We are one this morning. We are listening. Speak to us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we come to the end of Colossians this morning, and you may recall that at the beginning of our study together, I reminded you that good things often come in small packages. Now, you know what I always think about when I say that. 
<laughs> and probably none of us grasped at the beginning of our study how this short letter to this little church in this small town of Colossae would be used by God to impact our Christian lives and the lives of others through us. Remember at the beginning I mentioned to you that Colossae was located somewhere in modern-day Turkey near Laodicea and Hierapolis, and that Colossae at one time had been a thriving textile center, but sometime prior to Christ, and therefore prior to Paul writing this inspired epistle, the city had declined in population and importance because of changes that were made in the Roman highway system. I believe it was commentator J.D. Lightfoot who said, in the eyes of the world, Colossae was the most inconsequential city and church to which the Apostle Paul ever wrote. But brothers and sisters in Christ, that does not mean that they were small in faith or small in spiritual vitality. Because of God's grace in Jesus Christ given to them, I feel safe in saying that the Colossians' love for Christ and for one another was quite robust. But wait a minute. Wait just a minute. God doesn't plant apostolic churches in little towns, does he? He did in Colossae. And apparently he still does because he did that for us here and through us here. But certainly, certainly God doesn't have churches our size here in Donovan give birth to church plants, does he? No. He sometimes does. He takes what is small and he makes something great from it so that he alone, alone receives the glory. Don't you love John's account of the feeding of the 5,000? If you don't love that account, something's wrong with you. The only food available was from a small boy who had five loaves and two fish. And with it, Jesus fed the multitudes. Oh, truly, if all of God's people everywhere would become children at heart in dependence upon the sufficiency of our almighty God in Jesus Christ, we would be very surprised at what God would do because little always becomes much when you put it to the master's touch. Then you'll understand how life could never be the same. 
Brothers and sisters, you and I would have loved worshiping with the Colossian believers. We would have loved lifting up the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in Colossae with them. It's true that there were false teachers among them who were peddling a false Jesus plus program. It's true that there was great concern because of these false teachers. They must have been doing something right. The enemy was close at hand, wasn't he? False teachers peddling false gospels always threaten to sidetrack God's people from the sufficiency found in Jesus Christ alone. That's why their good pastor, Pastor Epaphras, traveled over a thousand miles across the Roman Empire all the way from Colossae to Rome to get help and advice from the Apostle Paul. And the result was the letter to the Colossians, the inspired letter, and much more because, Opa because, because Tychicus took Onesimus back with him. The Colossian church was in the home of Philemon. Wow. What a good thing Pastor Epaphras did. How he served, how he toiled, how he worked. There were obviously some big personalities in that, in that uh, proximity at least who were trying to undermine the preeminence and sufficiency of Jesus Christ with false gospels that appealed to the flesh. You can always sniff out a false gospel because it appeals to the flesh. It always has us doing something to earn acceptance with God or to get spirituality. Spirituality has no other source but Christ. There's no indication that their congregation had, at large, had already been duped by this. There's no indication of that. If there was, Paul would have written to them in the form of a rebuke, similar to what he did in the writing of uh, his epistle to Galatia and to the church at Corinth. But his tone toward these dear folk is quite different. Remember the beginning? He said this, we always thank God, the, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints because of the hope that is laid up for you in heaven. They had a confident assurance in Jesus Christ. They had a confident assurance in what he did for them to redeem them from their sin. They knew that heaven was theirs and it was just around the corner and it motivated their faith in Christ and their love for those who were in the church with them. Well, Paul goes on to encourage them in chapter 1 by telling them that the gospel is producing fruit throughout the world and that in and through them it has produced fruit 
since the very first day that they heard the gospel preached out of the mouth and lips of Pastor Epaphras. The Apostle Paul had never been to Colossae. The Holy Spirit was working mightily in their midst. This was just a young congregation, praise God. And saying all that about them, from there the apostle felt led to use all of that as a launching pad for the rest of the epistle to lead the Colossian believers to even higher heights of understanding of all who Jesus is and all that was theirs in him so that they would remain steadfast and that they would say no to anything that undermined the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. Anything that might sound right at first, but appealed to the flesh, it was to be a big no from them. And so he just launched into this Christ-exalting uh, teaching that cannot be compared the way it's condensed here to any other section of scripture this fall, uh, small. The exaltation of Christ is so great. I'm tempted to go through every single thing he said about Jesus. I've done it several times, but really the whole letter of Colossians is summed up in chapter two, verse nine. There, Paul says this, in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily and you are filled in him. That sums up the whole letter of Colossians. That's who he is. That's who we are in him. The whole fullness of deity dwells bodily in him and you have been filled in him through faith alone. And when believers grasp the beauty and glory of their all-sufficient Savior in his divinity, their devotion to him strengthens little by little, day by day, as they see his promises as their promises in the Holy Scriptures. So young people, children, when someone says something to you, anything that seems to undermine the sufficiency found in Christ alone, there's always a snake behind it. Trying to delude your faith in Christ alone with what Paul calls plausible arguments. Those are arguments that sound right at first in this context, but are completely unsound and seek to delude the Christian and the church and its children from resting in Jesus alone. Children, Jesus is God. He's God, and there is no other. He will have no rivals. And the redemptive work that Jesus accomplished in his incarnation on your behalf 
calls you, children, bids you to trust in him alone to save you from your sin and then to find all your spiritual nourishment and Christian growth in him alone because he's sufficient. And that really sums up our first point this morning. And when we come to the end of Colossians, we see that these greetings mean more than what at first glance we might think they mean. They mean a lot of things, but certainly in this case, those who send them through Paul are all amening Paul's teaching on the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. Jesus is enough. He's enough. He's sufficient. And whenever his sufficiency is personally embraced, it always leads second to the encouragement of the church. Well, you see in verse 7, a man named Tychicus, he sends greetings. He's in the church, and he's like Tandy. Tychicus is like her. He'll do whatever he can for the church. Whatever needs to be done, whatever he thinks he can do. Paul calls him a beloved brother. There's tenderness there in the church. He calls him a faithful minister. There's dependability among one another. And he calls him a fellow servant. There's humility there. When you have just one person like Tychicus, just one, your session will be buoyed up because they'll be all there. And you know they're all there because they love Jesus. They understand that the church isn't perfect, but it's Christ's church, and here we are. And we're together. We're a family. And we've got to fight the good fight of faith. Hey, do you need your letters carried across the Roman Empire? Pick me, Tychicus says. Pick me. Here I am. Send me. Paul wrote to the Colossians saying, Here's why I'm sending you Tychicus. Because his heart is for God's people. He's going to tell you everything that's been going on here. He just has the ability to encourage hearts. And so I'm sending him. And remember, several weeks ago, we took one Lord's Day and studied Paul's letter to Philemon. Well... It was Tychicus who would escort Onesimus to the door of his master Philemon. That's where the Colossi church met. And so with the letter to Philemon, Tychicus also handed him the letter to the Colossians. But can you imagine Onesimus? Did I say anywhere in this message, or have I ever said that relationships in the church were easy? Far from it. God has saved us from the guilt of our sin, but he's now chipping away at those sins that still remain. We come together and we worship the one who saved us and promises to keep us. But that doesn't make relationships easy all the time. Here's Onesimus. I want you to get into his shoes just for a second. 
He's sending greetings to the one he stole from and the one he ran away from illegally. According to Roman law, he could be put to death. And here he is, standing with Tychicus, with Philemon, opening the door. He had to return. Because while he was with Paul, he became a believer in Jesus Christ. God gave him a new heart and the faith to believe. And he knew that his life was not going to be easy, that the battle now begins. And so here he is. Can't you see? Slave and master worshiping at the Church of Colossae side by side now. What an encouragement. You know, it's not all about doctrine. Without doctrine, we have nothing else. But our doctrine has an impact on who we are as the family of God now. And our hearts are now changed and being changed. And relationships in the church are so vitally important. And how we view the world changes. Because there, but by the grace of God, go us. And so the gospel has enraptured our hearts. But what an encouragement it would have been to worship with them and to see these two side by side. That's the kind of thing that happens in the amazing gospel transformation. It leads to reconciliation between brothers and sisters who were formerly estranged because of real offenses. Then in verse 10, Paul sends greetings from Aristarchus, his fellow prisoner. He went with Paul to Ephesus, to Jerusalem. He was shipwrecked with Paul. That's every young boy's dream, isn't it? It might be every young girl's dream here at SGRC. To be shipwrecked with the Apostle Paul? That was Aristarchus. <laughs> he was with Paul through thick and thin, and he would have taken a bullet for him. He was a soldier for Jesus Christ, and now he's in prison with Paul. This is what the gospel does to men and women and boys and girls. We, we may not be in physical danger today for Christ, but there are spiritual forces coming against the church daily and the physical dangers we don't know about, God does, they may yet come. And I know of people in this church who have sacrificed time and resources and energy for the encouragement of the church and Satan hates it when we do that because it encourages believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, who wake up every morning having to tell themselves the gospel because they sin and they neglect to do those things that they could do often. It encourages them and it keeps them in the fight. It keeps them coming back 
and worshiping under the means of grace that God has given to us. It advances the church worldwide when we encourage just one person. We will never understand the ripple effect the Holy Spirit gives to one life that is given over to the Lord Jesus Christ. Greetings are also sent from Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. Well, he accompanied Paul and Barnabas on one particular journey where uh, he deserted Paul and Barnabas. Relationships in the church are not always easy, are they? This became a big bone of contention, not only between Paul and Mark, but between Paul and Mark's cousin, Barnabas. But somewhere along the way, they all three became reconciled because Mark is now with Paul in Rome doing ministry. And that reconciliation between those brothers was not easy. But that's the transforming power of the gospel at work. Oh, I love, I love at the end of his life uh, what Paul wrote to Timothy. He said, at the end of his life, only Luke is with me here. Bring Mark. Bring him. Because he is useful to me in ministry. And you know, between Luke and Mark and the Apostle Paul, there's the bulk of the New Testament. Luke also sends greetings from Paul. Between these three, it's a powerhouse of lives given over, and it's no less than what we have within us. He is the fullness of deity in bodily form, and we have been filled in him. Well, why does Paul call Luke the beloved physician? Paul didn't need a physician, did he? Well, according to 2 Corinthians, he might have. Five times he received at the hands of the Jews 39 lashes. Three times he was beaten with rods. Once he was stoned. Three times he was shipwrecked. He endured danger at almost every turn, and he knew the agony of what it meant to be cold and hungry for the sake of the gospel. No wonder he called Luke the beloved physician. Paul also mentions Jesus, who was also called Justice in verse 11. The only thing we know about Justice is that he was one of the three Jewish believers who brought Paul comfort. We know nothing else about him. We don't need to know anything about him. That's big enough, isn't it? He also sends someone very familiar to us now. Greetings from Pastor Epaphras, verse 12. He says about him, he's always struggling always struggling on their behalf 
in his prayers so that they would stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. A prayers like that unleash heaven's encouragement upon the church and they advance it, even in this little town of Colossae. He adds that Epaphras has worked hard, not only for those in Colossae, but Laodicea and Hierapolis. He was a humble, faithful, and hardworking servant of the gospel. And he preached the gospel, and God used him. And those in the church at Colossae were called by God through the preaching of the word, and the power of the Holy Spirit unto the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, SGRC is on the brink of calling a new pastor. And we would do well if he was something like pastors are all in a process, but something like Epaphras gospel-centered, humble, prayerful, faithful, and sacrificial. And then Demas sends greetings in verse 14. Demas is only mentioned three times in Scripture, here in Philemon, uh, here in Colossae, then in Philemon, and then later in 2 Timothy 4, where Paul sadly wrote about him that Demas had deserted him because he was in love with this present world. And yet Demas was a big part of Paul's ministry team in Rome. And that may seem confusing to some, but we know that the church visible on earth is always a mixed community and there are always wolves in sheep clothing in the larger picture of things. So there's a sadness in the church community. There's always a sadness in the church community. Things are not always good and cheerful when one of their members won't have anything else to do with them or with the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. How sad that is. You can't go very long in the Christian faith, faith without noting that there's a time for sadness. For Demas, it looks as though the cost of discipleship was too great. Paul then sends his own greetings to the brothers at Laodicea, to Nympha, and, and the church that meets in her home. He sends greetings. Nympha, like Philemon, generously opened her home for the church to meet. The Colossians in Philemon's home, the Laodiceans in Nympha's home. What a beautiful ministry she had. For Christ, And then Paul says a word to Archippus. Uh, commentators believe that Archippus is the son of Philemon and Aphia. He says this in verse 17. 
See to it that you fulfill the ministry that the Lord, that you receive from the Lord. He was at least an officer in the church. Perhaps he was a new officer and needed to be challenged. We don't know. But all of these wonderful dear people are mentioned. But they're no more wonderful than you. God can't love you any more than what he does because he loves you in his son. Isn't that great? He can't love you anymore, but you don't know my thoughts when I woke up this morning. You don't know how I struggled yesterday. Oh, yes, I do. We all do. And that's what the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is made up of. But praise God, we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in the sufficiency of Christ alone. Isn't that great? Well, Paul then closes with these words in verse 18. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you all. Wow. Paul took the quill from the secretary and he wrote the final sentences with his own hand. Remember my chains. That's just like saying, remember Christ. Remember that he is preeminent. That's what my chains mean. And remember that he is sufficient. Jesus is God. And he, as your Redeemer, is more than enough. And remember, the chains also say that we have a foe. And that that foe is great. And regardless of whatever our circumstances are, good or bad, hard or easy, God is working through you as his redeemed child. And he's working through SGRC uh, regardless of the circumstances of what we're going through as a church family. For his glory and our good so that there might be a ripple effect of love between us that spills out into your prayer life and into your neighborhood and into a lost and dying world. There's no telling, and I believe this, how far our love for Christ will extend around this world. Isn't that wonderful? Remember his chains, and you'll know that even chains can be a means that God uses to get the good news of Christ into hearts. Let's pray. Our Father, it's Jesus that we're so happy about. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you loved, you sent him, and the Holy Spirit applies him and his work so graciously to our lives, undeservedly. 
Father, help us to have a skip in our walk and a prayer life that reflects such wonder. And may our love here reflect the goodness of God in Christ to us. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. And by the way, I wanted to mention in the sermon that when I see the children...